All right. Yo, welcome back to another episode of Nap Time with Dr. Miyabi Shields. In these episodes, we're going to talk about what we have going on for our educational nonprofit, the Network of Applied Pharmacognosy. And we're also going to talk about just some really cool science things that we are just going to vibe about. But we first really want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode, which is also a donation to the nonprofit. So thanks so much to MCR Labs. MCR Labs is a premier analytical laboratory in Massachusetts, Maine, and New York. And we have actually worked really close with their team in the past. We love their team. We've hung out and chilled with a, a bunch of people on their team, and we really vibe with how they are passionate about research and promoting public education in the community, which is something we're actually going to talk about in this episode. And we've got some awesome planned collaborations too in the future. So just so grateful for them as sponsors. And yeah, huge shout out. So thank you, MCR Labs. We'll talk about an event we attended from MCR Labs in this episode, but we really appreciate your support and we hope you enjoy this episode. So I've been on a flower break, you know, because of like, I was sick and I love flower. I love liquid diamonds too, but it, it's different. I mean, they're definitely different. I do still think that there's something there about the distillate and people were like um, messaging me being like, well, distillate doesn't have terpenes. And I was like, no, I'm talking about distillate with terpenes. Like I've had distillate with cannabis derived terpenes added back into it. I've had distillate with the... HTE, which is high terp extract, right? Like I've had distillate yeah. with that put back into it and I still get that anxiety, heady, you know, rushy type of feeling from it. And I don't get that from the liquid diamonds. Like I, I really don't. And I think it's fascinating because it's super high THC percentage. Well, I think part of that could also be your your tolerance is a lot higher now than it has been in the past. And maybe that has That's- something to do with it too. That's fair. I like that's definitely true. I actually haven't I've been thinking about this too about the tolerance situation about how a piece of that had to do with the ability to dose. Like the literal just like ability to properly like assess access. what Yeah. Just like properly assess what my brain feels like and being like, "Oh no, you do need more than that." Yeah. <laughs> like you got to keep hitting that if you want that anxiety to go away, like and I, right. I think that it's an interesting, like, thing because I'm reminded about it regularly. Like, at some point last year, I was reminded about it where I had, like, an epiphany and I was like, oh, right. Like, my brain likes high doses. Like, it likes, like, a watt of weed. And yeah, because you were, like, low dose for a long time. like Years. Years and years, actually. Yeah, like, like, like almost always smoking hemp flower at least partially and then just like trying to take the minimum dose which worked for you for a bit but um, i don't know i agree it's hard hard to know if that was working for me you know what i mean i was pretty like i mean compared to how i am now i'm i'm way chiller now but my life is way better now so it's like that's a good point you know i feel like i've always been like a a medium dose person like i i definitely have people that smoke a lot more than me but Compared to an average person, I think I probably also smoke more than them. So, 
I think that both of us are like medium for the industry, but high for the like general population. Oh my god, I was talking to like some of Jake's coworkers, and they're like, (laughs) they're like, oh well, I could never smoke a whole joint, and I was like, oh, I could. I'm like, that's exactly what I do. It's a perfect serving size. But I do understand, like, if you're not a regular user, a full joint, like, it seems like that would be a serving size. But for, like, a new user, that would just get you absolutely blasted. Yeah, it's too much. I mean, even, like, I feel like I genuinely like around the 250 to 500 range, like, even still. But that's, like, straight THC flour. If I mixed it with hemp, I could, like, get all the way up to, like, the one two-gram thing. Whenever I do blunts and stuff, I usually put hemp in it, like, because I just feel like I, love I can't blunts, handle it. I love I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't know how to roll a blunt. I don't know how no, to do that. No, I know. So you told me totally... that. Remember when I was, like, and I got to teach you, but then it was so late, and we were just, like, that was the nonprofit launch party. <laughs> nonprofit launch party. But I can roll this joint this size in literally 30 seconds. This is, like, my easiest thing in the world. And then my best friend, Heather, like, the reason I fell in love with her is watching her roll a blunt. So she's always been the blunt roller. Like you, you haven't group. needed, you haven't needed one. I haven't needed like, to roll a blunt because yeah. I usually save blunts for like special occasions, and Heather's always yeah. there. So it's like, why, why do I need to learn how to roll a blunt? But still, in my twenty twenty four New Year's resolution. I mean, it's just it's pretty simple. I was like pretty similar to rolling a joint. I guess that's what I would say. But I, I also like cheat all the time and just empty out swishers. Like I'm total trash. Like, I'll just, like, cheat it, you know? Yeah. It, I I would like to learn the cheating form and the non-cheating form, just to have it in my the cheating, repertoire. The cheating form is you just empty out the tobacco out of the swisher, and then you shove weed in the end with, like, a thing and pack it down. And it's like, but it works. <laughs> just just yeah. saying. It'll, it'll always work. Um, and then the non-cheating way is it's pretty much just like a joint. I mean – I think like one of the differences is just the texture of the the texture of the wrap is much thicker and so the tension's a little bit different but like the physics is the same so like like the physics of how you make it tight is the same it's just the texture of the actual paper right once you so. have that hand motion down I feel like you can roll um, a bunch of different things and I'm growing like five different varieties of tobacco this year literally yes. to learn to roll blunts like the purpose oh, that's is amazing to, for blunt rolling so. <laughs> I'm I'll keep you up to date on that. I'm obsessed with that. I mean, you're not keeping me. I'm coming over. <laughs> like, inviting yeah, myself. it's going to be awesome. Don't have to invite myself. I'm driving up. Like, when, yeah. when, it's ready to, when it's ready to roll. Like, that's amazing. I actually really love tobacco and weed together, and there's something about it that has always really helped my brain but i i benefit from tobacco so that's another common thing that i think is an interesting neurotype difference between you know some people don't really like it at all like it makes them feel sick and like you know it's made me feel sick in the past um but i think that's just because i had too much like i think i like small amounts of tobacco i don't like a, a ton Big amounts of tobacco where you're sick and you're, like, nauseous is, like, just, that's the worst. Like, I don't Oh, the first time I ever tried nicotine was my friend, like, my friend and I, like, stole a cigar from a wedding, like, at a pretty young age. We must have been, like, fucking 14 years old or something. But um, then we went out back, like, oh, then we went out back and we smoked, like, a lot of it. And then I was, like, my world is spinning and I feel sick and I, like, projectile vomited from (laughs) the cigar. (laughs) 
terrible. It's a terrible story. Yeah. So that was so that was that. Uh, oh my gosh. All right. Oh, I should probably get our list of things to talk about. Today, I, okay, I've got it up. I've got it up. I think so. we should recap the MCR event, too. And that can also just boost up some of the people like Jill and... Um, yeah. Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. Last year, the science fair was a really difficult event for me. It was our last day working together, and there was, like, a lot of emotional... I was... T- it's like, there's... I feel like we never really talked about this, but it was just like weird because we have worked together for at that point, like almost two years, like, wait, a year and a half where it was like, yeah, there was, there was a lot of like, I think just questioning in the air. Like we had had no idea (laughs) if we were ever going to like see each other work together, like do anything together again. Um, so that was was weird. It was weird. It was very it was very just isolating too. Like we were both kind of yeah. there, but like representing different things, and at the oh, super God. like I was not representing. Part. I was not representing anything well. <laughs> like that. Well, this year I thought was really fun though. I had a very it hectic was. morning, but I oh, think man, you, yeah, you, you, had... you set up perfectly. So thank you for that, taking that over. It was so funny. So I was I was running like two hours behind because I lived very ice. far you away. Had ice though you had snow and ice and that's gnarly yeah it was like terrible conditions but i still got there i was just late and it was so funny literally right when i pulled up miyabi comes running out with a vape in their hand just being like here you go <laughs> and i was like i need this i knew, I knew it was needed it was amazing like, holy shit like that morning for you you went to the wrong parking lot or something, and then you cut, and then I'm like, "Where the fuck are you?" <laughs> like, where well, are I you typed here? in the address, but I didn't type in the right town. So oh, then God. I literally traveled from Cambridge to Somerville, to Somerville. Oh, and then no. I like pull up to this residential neighborhood, and I'm like, "I messed up. This is not a parking garage." So then, <laughs> so then so I had to go thing, back to Cambridge. Ugh. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it for people who haven't driven around Boston because if you haven't driven around Boston, you don't quite understand how annoying that like distance is like a mile in cambridge and somerville is like they're like residential one-way roads there's a bunch of things that are called squares that are circles or trapezoids or like pentagon everything's like, like a one-way yeah, road so there's there, nowhere to turn cool around we were having people come smell the um sauce so is that is their extracts right they're um flavoring extracts that have like terps in them but also have other volatiles and we we're having people come smell the aromas and say like rank these aromas from your most to least favorite and it was so nice because like it just smelled great like, oh the right whole place where, smelled i mean it smelled right like weed i mean these are literally oh, like extracts so of the smells of weed smelled but they sound so they smelled really interesting and it was such a cool little experiment too because we always say the nose knows like certain people are attracted to certain varieties of cannabis because it just meshes with your body really well and kind of provides it with what it needs and we saw that which is really cool is um jill and her family stopped by and their entire family voted for the same strain as the one that they liked the best, which we were all like, that's really interesting. Like, is that related to genetics? Is that related to preference? Is that related to the smells at their home? Like what, what does that mean that an entire family like is attracted to the same variety? I don't think that I ever would have thought that that played a role, but it makes sense. The receptors have mutations all the time and like olfactory receptors are and and on top of that like 
we know that certain genetics control taste and I think they're related those I think the receptors for taste are related to smell or at least that smell is oh they have to be I mean you know. they, they are related because they're part of your genome right like it's all it's all related but yeah I don't know how I never I never even thought to ask like my brothers what their favorite strains yeah, are and like and see if that meshes them. with mine <laughs> I also was so cool to meet Jill's kids. I've heard so much about them. And also, like, um, our friend Bo, who is doing AI work, and was there in the space. We had a lot of friends there, which was cool this year. Like, we had, like, a crew of um, It was really cool. Because cool, we've been stoner scientists. <laughs> and we've been, like, really kind of building this community for a while. And it's so cool to see everyone support each other, even if they're not, like, presenting at the mcr labs science fair either way they're still there they're still there with their families supporting you asking questions taking pictures it just like it feels really good and the then having kids there and, and talking to kids and being like like i'm gonna throw it out there like i love kids like lane and i aren't plan planning on having them but like i love children i think that their brains are really interesting and fun and like I don't think that there's any reason why at a science fair that was a non-consumption event, why kids shouldn't be present learning and I being thought that interested. was I thought it was so great. cool that so Jill brought her, I think, five kids and they weren't the only kids there either. Angela brought her kids. We saw other kids there. And it's Bo just had his cool kids were there all day tabling with him. Like, and the, the cannabis community is very safe. Like, people are very open and very, like, aware of that. And there's nothing dangerous happening here. We're just talking about the research we're doing and how it impacts community and science. So it was really cool just to see that that is kind of getting breached by all different demographics and that people feel safe bringing their kids there and that they know that we're going to, you know, talk – Talk about science with them, getting interested in science and natural products. Well, knowing someone like that is interested in your interests when you're young, too, and being able to actually answer some of the questions, because, like, kids are inherently curious, and, like, it's impossible to think that your parents would know the answer to everything. And so it's really cool, especially with the exposure and the um, education around substances and what role do they play in our lives for kids to be introduced to it as hey the role that these are playing in our lives is that they're helping us and that we're using them with the intention of of helping us to have a higher quality of life and that you know if i had known any of that information i i mean i just didn't even understand what a prescription was either though or a poison like i didn't have a good concept of that difference until like after my like until starting research then I was like why did it take why did it take me this pathway to be able to understand it and then it's like because there's no public education on it like right and we talk about like, this all the time about oh like gosh. implementing drug education at a young age right when we introduce sex education too yes but talking about it in this way of like this is kind of part of your life this is something you're going to be introduced to throughout your life there are a lot of positives but also like anything in moderation and anything with education is a lot safer than just saying hey complete abstinence is the only way to go about sex and drugs good luck out there i'm sure i'm sure all of you will never touch this again right <laughs> like it's it, it just like and obviously these kids most of them like their parents are in the weed world and scientists in many cases so you know they're getting that like top tier education and you know it's not introduced in a, in a negative light but you just hope that like other kids have the opportunity to have this 
less stigmatized view of especially cannabis, um, but also other natural medicines, other pharmaceuticals, and just like talk to kids and teens in a mature way. They want to know this information, so we should be able to provide it and provide context to it. I think that you and I have this opinion, though, because as you know, when we make our content, we're trying to make it understandable to everyone. And so like when I think about the level that I'm trying to teach when I'm trying to teach everyone, it's actually quite young. And it's like the simpler you can make a concept, actually always the easier it is to understand by anyone of any age. And so we have this opinion because we would know exactly how we would do it. Like if someone was like, if someone was to come to us and be like, Hey, do you want to design a course for literal children? We would be like, yes, we'll tell them what a poison is. We'll teach them that something can kill you. So they know not to drink the bleach under the sink. We'll introduce the notion of like cough medicine and like things that kids take, right? Like when you're sick, like be like, exactly. Fever reducer. Just just understanding. (laughs) Like, yeah. the, The things that go into your body, like, are acting on your body and again like there is a dangerous level to many things but many things can be used safely and have a lot of therapeutic value you just need to understand how to understand that (laughs) i just got such a good idea we should rebrand this as just pharmacology education and because it does start with just pharmacology like we likely wouldn't that's exactly what we're talking about exactly Let's call it that, and then we won't call it cannabis education, but cannabis will just be included amongst all of the other things because you might as well cover all of them. You have to. You can't You can't also just cover cannabis. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be, it would just be interesting to cover different systems and how different drugs and natural products, like, work on that system. I think it would – I mean we, – We should do this. Who wants to fund this? Someone reach out I to would, us. I would definitely do this. I mean, it would be great to pilot it in a controlled space where then you take feedback and then we could see like because there's also so much more accessibility that it really does make sense to start young because our friends kids like are getting exposed to it like in middle school and like that is young like I mean well and and kids take and kids see it on the internet now they're taking in so much more information than pre-internet yeah. kids so it's like they are mature enough for these conversations and if you don't bring it up with them or people you trust don't bring it up with them somebody else is and we don't know what that education is going to look like so we might as well provide it from a trusted source oh my god you don't want to know what that education is like because it's just kind of like do whatever and figure it out and then you end up in dangerous situations where you're like well, that could have been avoided if I had had more information going in. Yeah, I've thought about self- that many times through my life. Self-experimentation. <laughs> like, oh, my God. That's Oops, like, wrong dose. But, but the thing is, like, they, no one wants to hear that opinion, right? Because it's like this fear-based system and it perpetuates itself. And I don't know. I think we got to do it. Actually, I think that, like, maybe we could do it and we could just, like, start with short videos. Like, we should, like, make cartoons. I think that would be a really good, like, segment of our YouTube is, ooh. Someone should draw a stop animation. Like, a little thing. Wait, and this then is someone such should, a perfect someone YouTube sing thing? It, sing it into a Vox box. Because I saw someone do that, and I loved it. I watched every video in a row. I was like, can, this is my Can favorite. AI just animate us? Is that, like, mean to cut out the illustrator? I think that we might have to try. 
You know, it'd be kind of cool. Okay. What if we had it do it in ASCII? Have you ever seen ASCII text or is that you're too young for that? Maybe. I don't know. Dude. Yeah, I don't do you know. know what ASCII I... is? You know what ASCII is? No. Oh, man. I'm dating myself, dude. So back in the day, the computers used to not have images. And ASCII Whoa. images are tech. They're made out of text, but they're pictures. And the different letters oh, are different. Oh, I've like... seen those. I didn't know they're called okay. ASCII. Yeah. I've seen like AI I actually don't know if I'm pronounced. Am I pronouncing that right? Maybe I don't. I don't know. That might not be how it's pronounced. <laughs> Is this the chitin story again? <laughs> oh, God. What was I called? Chitin. <laughs> chitin, yeah. And I'm like, man, I've never heard of that. That's crazy. <laughs> what is chitin? <laughs> I'd never heard of it said before. It's like spelled. English it's really hard. I I find that with like a lot of natural products, like especially like different terpenes, like a lot of people have just never heard them pronounced before. So we're all like doing our best. But what is the right way? I have no idea. Is there a right I, way? I mean, I think for a lot of things, there's just like the way that people have said it for a long time and it like sticks. I don't know. I I'm not convinced that there's like truly a right or a wrong way to say anything. But then I've heard certain words be pronounced wrong and I was like, okay, maybe that was wrong. But I can't think of an example yeah. <laughs> like yeah, off the top of my head. Um, I mean, I kind of just go with like, say what you're going to say that's confident. <laughs> that's like. Yeah, I don't care either. How... Um, you know, whatever like vibes with the message you're trying to give, like that's fine. I don't think you need to like explain it either. Because especially if you think of a specific word and how it's pronounced in different cultures and different areas like there's no consistency so there's no need to be consistent just say say whatever resonates with you all right we're starting our own cannabis dialect right now everyone we're gonna have our mm -hmm. own dialect where we just pronounce these words whatever they are because who knows how they're pronounced and like we're just gonna do it because actually the more important thing is that we're delivering the information right like that's the that's the goal. Speaking of delivering like, information, should we drop in this podcast episode that we want to start a journal? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like it makes sense because I feel like I've, we've both already talked about it. I definitely sent someone like a public message today that was like, we're going to start a I, I think we are, though. It's, it only makes sense. Well, this is a goal of ours is to start like an academic type <sighs> journal, but for it to heavily talk about like personal experience with um with a certain plant or extract or product and saying like hey this is my experience this is how my body is this is how my brain is i tried this it worked really well these are my measured outcomes etc but also have other areas of the journal like new extraction methods in cannabis or other natural products you know talking about things that are often like just below the rigor that would be published in an academic journal but still, you know, very important for us to learn about these different products and how they're used and how they're being extracted and other cultures, Ayurvedic me medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. What are other cultures and other people doing and how can we share that in like a professional space that's like really outlining in a in a consistent way um, what, what, we're, what we're doing? I think another important piece of this that will be really cool is that we'll have people submit the data in such a way that it's easy to work with and so that other people can yeah. do research from our information. Like we're going to intentionally format our data to be used and to be open to other people. And that is just going to open up the doors for anyone who wants is a data scientist and wants to like mine through 
whoever wants to share their experiences. And we have a lot of evidence that everyone out there, like you want to share your experiences and that this plant helps you and that we should help each other and we should be putting that information out there. And so we are definitely, you know, this is just the next step because we have to be able to do it in a way where we have the language the same. We could universalize, like this is actually, this is a great place to shout out um, the Effective Cannabis Newsletter team, Debbie. I was and, just going to do like, that. Yes, William, perfect like spot. That, this is this is the place because they have been working on standardizing language and creating like a, a term sheet. And I think it's so important and we need to establish what we're going to call different things. And we have to always call it the same thing. And that's another thing this journal can, can help do is we can help by publishing all these protocols. Like, yeah, I saw a cool thing where the um, hash was getting made by static electricity. That was cool. I've heard of that too. Someone in Vermont yeah. does it. I want to see them do it. I'm, I'm I want to very see excited. If, if I get the invite, I'll invite you too. Cause that like sounds yeah. so cool. Um, yeah. but one other thing yeah. about the EC newsletter, and I will also add their website to, um, to the show notes here. If you guys could sign up for that newsletter, it's a great resource for learning about your ECS and learning about cannabis and learning about these different cannabinoids. Um, but also if you want to share your lived experience, you can do that. They have a forum like on their website where you can submit your story and share that with them. And it can be shared with their network too. But um, I think it could be anonymous or not. I'm not really sure there. But you should definitely, if you have a unique story, if you have a unique um, product that works for you, definitely share it on their website. They are like some of the coolest people working in cannabis and they seriously care about like the patient, the people, the consumer. It really shows in how invested they are, like, into both of our, like, what we both stand for individually as people. And it's, it feels so good to be seen by others in the space who are on this, like, very similar mission because there's so many people, you know, the industry is quite, I wrote, I wrote it today. I was like, full send. Um, you know, the industry can be predatory, especially in the sciences, actually, and like the medical and sciences part of the industry specifically, like has its own specific problems. But it's so nice to feel so seen and feel so respected and like, you know, the value that they have for the plant and then for the people is something that I am I'm so appreciative of because I feel like it's really been this year for me like figuring out what that priority is for me you know and like I don't know and I think I think the industry definitely can be predatory and I was actually talking to someone today shout out to Rachel Kolick I was talking to Rachel today and she was just talking about um a a few trends in the industry but she was specifically talking about how women in the industry are often kind of just like looked like kind of tossed aside, especially in the business realm of things. Um, but she said, you know, she's worked financially with so many different cannabis companies and the women run companies are typically doing significantly better. And also like adding to that conversation, I think when we're talking yes. about when we're talking about like healing and medicine and trust and learning from your body, you know, women have always been the healers. We've always been the healers in society. And I think that kind of when, when even we see like interactions online, I'm, I, there's many men doing a great job. But I'm saying like I look to the woman and the natural products and the cannabis industry because 
that that sense of empathy that sense of healing and community like that comes off very strong with many of the women where sometimes I don't get that same feeling um with some other creators or some other people um and it it, that's always kind of just spoke to me because I've always been kind of like Jake and I are you know he's more on the hunter I'm more on like the medicine the gatherer type but like the, the healing aspect to me has always been very motherly very like womanly that's kind of part of that I don't know the per- persona and I think that's why a lot of people inherently trust the women in our industry I also feel like another piece of this puzzle has to do with how we're socialized and how we in general are encouraged like women and people who are raised like under the female archetype of always getting along with others and versus boys we encourage them to be independent right so it's it's also a piece of that has to do with like the way that we're brought up is more community oriented just in the first place and so it's easier for our brains to have community oriented and community benefited priorities and you know that's that's a great segue into weird brains which i think might be worth just touching on for a second because oh that's gonna be um, fun yeah yeah so this is really cool um we're gonna be working with some people next year and doing some panels and talking about kind of kind of building off of this stoner neurotype but just understanding like the weird brain a little more and Essentially, we're talking about how cannabis can kind of be this like gateway drug into a life where you aren't necessarily confined by political or social norms, where you want to be more independent, where you want to be able to um, be in charge of your own medicine and your own food. And, you know, I say I say that in a joking way. It's really an exit drug for many different things. Um, But we're going to we're going to start writing about this a little bit more because we think that cannabis kind of really shapes your brain in a unique way and it kind of brings similar minded people together and part of that is also in the actual physical act of how we consume cannabis often which is typically in circles and group settings often away from the majority you're kind of creating this separate little hub of maybe outcasts and this this also ties into an episode that's going to be later in the season about cannabis and circus and how circus people have always kind of been kind of these outliers of society and same with cannabis. And like we're, we're really starting to dig into this more and start to understand, does cannabis shape the brain or is the brain already like that and it just responds very well to cannabis and some of these people and just at least starting the conversation around it? I think both things can be true there. I think so, too. That both things are true of that. And I want to point out that something that's been really important to me recently that I've been thinking about with cannabis is ritual. And there are so many rituals in cannabis use, the social aspect and the bonding that occurs. Like, And it's not everyone who feels this way, but for a lot of us who are like regular users and like medical users and like whatever you want to call us, high high needs users stoners the stoner neurotype we benefit so much from this plant and the way that it does shape our brain both both the way our brain is shaped that we benefit so much from it and then the way that the plant then shapes us back right both of those things comes to a point where we feel so much relief and camaraderie we are a community like there is a inherent trust that i have with big time stoners because i know where 
we overlap where in they're at just like yeah. and where their values are at and I think that's you know and oftentimes we talk about how the higher you get on up in many cannabis companies the less likely you are to use cannabis <laughs> and I think that's transition. really messed up yeah I mean well yeah I mean we'll get to LinkedIn too but I mean we as like regular cannabis con consumers like should be running this industry like we are the people who people trust we are the people who have the experience with the plant we have communities around this plant and we love it our entire lives are shaped around it to the extent that we make careers out of it and that we cannot live without it it is part of us it's part of our lifestyle so like why wouldn't we thrive in this industry you know it like we need to make space for those people and maybe have a little less space for the people who don't love the plant and don't love the community and maybe look down on people who consume every day. Like that is not okay to have people in power in those positions in this industry. I'm going to say something a little intense. Toss like, it out there. <laughs> all right. I feel religious about this plant. When I saw it grow earlier this year for the first time, I mean, like when I saw it, I told you this, like, I, I don't remember who we were talking to. We were talking with some stoner chicks. Shout out stoner yeah. chicks pod. That was fun. We were talking to them about um, the favorite month to smoke weed. And I said that mine had changed this year because seeing the plants in their full bloom, these giant, majestic, like, just beautiful. The leaves are beautiful. It's beautiful from the moment that it sprouts till the moment that you're drying it to the moment that you're processing it and smoking it and turning it into hash and all sorts of other cool stuff. Like, it's the most beautiful plant. I spent all spring, like, singing to them in the greenhouse every morning I was over there. Like, I love that plant. It's my medicine. I'm obsessed with it, but I also love it. And it has a very divine feeling to me when um i think of how much it's helped me in my life i think i there's i mean there's a lot of religi religiosity around like anything i think healing and that brings community yes. in that way but especially healing. when it is a natural product um because it's like also this connection with mother earth like you know i made a post today about today's the solstice that's extremely special to jake and i like we don't really celebrate christmas like we'll we'll do the dance but like I, I, I'm not really a Christian, so, like, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense to me, but, like, the solstice to us is, like, we work, we work pretty much, like, 24-7. We run three different businesses. We're always working, and it's, like, today we are literally taking time to make quality food that's going to feed us for a long time. You know, we're making food together. We're going to eat the food. We're going to decorate our tree that was harvested from our property. And we're just going to like not work and just enjoy this day because after today, the days get longer. We're able to have more time outside. And it's it's really beautiful. Like these different ways that we can, we can gauge how bountiful mother nature is or how much she has to rest. Like it's, it's a cool holiday. <laughs> I think that this knowledge that you and Jake have brought into my life and mine and Lane's lives is fascinatingly, it's the reason why the very first time I gave you the chemo diversity presentation, like within five minutes, you had changed my mind about some part of it. And I was like, whoa, that is so intense because I had already thought so much about it, I thought at least. But then when we met, I thought about it exponentially more. And that well, was right. Really and cool. that's also like all I studied in grad school is like chemo diversity and like really just just 
uh, what's it called? Like polypharmacology is like all natural right. products are. So you never look at it in isolation. Ne- all natural products have many, many, many active things in them at the same time. Like tea and coffee have like hundreds of molecules in them, right? Like we right. we know this. Alcohols do too. Like the, even the ones that are distilled. But it's like anything that comes from a a living being is not going to be formulated. It, it can't be. It's nature. We're, it's messy. It's imperfect. And that variety can have, that variability can have a therapeutic benefit. And that's where this all kind of, the big theory that started our friendship, I think that kickstarted us to becoming friends was this like, the idea that we forged together with this chemodiversity and the stress response in the body to all of the different molecules and how it applies to cannabis, how it applies to all the different cannabis products and how they're different, right? Uh, Let me just give a little background too, just for any listener who's like, what are you talking about? Um, (laughs) So when we talk about chemodiversity, we're really talking about the chemical diversity of natural products. So oftentimes we're referring to cannabis because that's what we talk about the most. So this is saying like instead of just taking pure THC or pure CBD, which is an isolated molecule that's very pharmaceutical in nature, it's a pure isolated molecule typically at high doses. Instead, when you look at nature, you have a lot of redundancy. You have a lot of similar molecules that might act in slightly different ways and they have a different purpose for that plant, but they're made through similar biochemical pathways because, I mean, nature and and energy systems like they're they're one and the same you always have to look at it from an energy standpoint and so every natural product from the most simple thing to the most complicated thing is always making more than one molecule it's always making hundreds of molecules that act in synergy and act in stress response in different ways and creates you know different active compounds and that is such a different way of looking at medicine compared to that isolated pharmaceutical pure compound because now it's like if you have a therapeutic effect from a natural product it's likely from more than one molecule and it's very hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on there and you don't have to pinpoint what's going on there all you have to do is understand that nature is making that medicine and it's working with your body in a specific way and that there's enhanced therapeutic value to having a more diverse and chemically rich extract compared to a single molecule formulation. Man, it's coming back to me now why we vibed so much in the beginning because we haven't talked about this in a while, actually, because we kind of were like, we need to table this. We're not ready when we were talking about how we want to explain the theory and you know really be able to say like, because you studied the chemodiversity or the vast array of molecules in the natural plant. And that knowledge to me, I loved to hear. And I, I never, I, until I talked to you, I didn't realize how similar it is to the chemical diversity that we have inside us in our brains and in our bodies. And I was, as you know, that's what I specialized in. And what I looked at was the endocannabinoid system. And when people think of it, they think of anandamide, right? I mean, that's the first endocannabinoid right. that anyone knows. But there's 2-AG, which is arguably more powerful, which is the other stand, quote-unquote standard endocannabinoid. But I don't even think that's arguable. Of- I think the data is like pretty freaking clear that 2-AG runs the show, and it's just well, like it's less more- sexy of a name. 
it's more potent that's for sure i think it serves its own purpose and it has this thing where it like self sequesters in separate pools throughout the cell which is interesting but i think there's a balance it's similar to cbd and thc how when you balance it you can have like a more nuanced effect and i think it's something like that that maybe they're in like a ratio to one another well i mean they they both exist for a reason right they're they're working in synergy for different purposes so why are we even comparing which one's better they're both incredibly important right no it's like the end that and then different different levels help different people so it's like it's true in the plant and then you see it and it's mirrored back in the body and then on top of that there's other um you know vanilloids or sometimes they're called elmeric acids that are basically the same thing as endocannabinoids with different ends. There's actually one that is serotonin attached to arachidonic acid, which is like the like the main. And that's published in our part. chapter that we published together. Oh shoot! Um, it yes, is. Oh, man. that is linked that's... on my Patreon. I did upload that, so if you wanna Sweet. if you wanna read that, uh, you can find it there. Um, but also, what you're kind of talking about is like we never talk about chemodiversity from a human perspective, like that our bodies are chemodiverse, that we there, create we, all we of have these so many molecules, right? We, have t- we create these similar like molecules of redundancy in our own body, um, and how when we look at our system and how we have these similar molecules and we have these receptors with these different active sites that are just just different enough to fit different molecules. Um, and then you combine that with how diverse natural products are and the potential of some molecule in that formulation being able to bind even slightly to some of these receptors in our body. The chances of the therapeutic value of having a chemodiverse person with a chemodiverse extract are much higher than having a single molecule, which is not chemodiverse, with a chemodiverse person. Like the, the options are limited in that case. Also, our body is just used to managing things in more fluctual, like more fluid states of, of modification. Like if you were to naturally change anything inside our bodies, it wouldn't be like a hard stop that like every receptor of the body would immediately be antagonized or, or blocked. Right. Right. That's not. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't happen immediately like that with pharmaceuticals either, but it's a much more rapid interaction with your body and it's not as full processing and there, we, there's a ton of things that we don't know still about well we do know certain things right we do know that in natural products like some there are some molecules that are like almost generically in a lot of different natural products that just stimulate the immune system exactly and also there's just a lot of bacteria that is almost always in natural products if you're extracting them in like ethanol or something you're also going to be extracting bacteria from the outside and we know that bacteria have components in the cell that are inflammatory to our body when we take them in and that inflammation is not always a bad thing it could be a good thing too i learned a lot of this from uh, dr Naja check she is an amazing uh, resource for information about bacteria and the immune system and and what it means to be like you know healthy in that way for stimulating your immune system but anyway, I think we're going to continue to do research on chemodiversity because we think it's extremely important to look at medicine from this perspective. And again, like this is not something we are like so innovative for looking at. This is traditional medicine. We're looking at traditional Chinese medicine. We're looking at Ayurvedic medicine. We're understanding Native American medicine. Like we are understanding in with modern tools what 
what that means of like having these really diverse extracts or what time of year the plant was extracted or the different components of the plant or if there's sometimes you know you can have great synergies where it's beneficial but you can also have synergies where it's less beneficial is that something we can study too you know it's it's just kind of this this way of thinking more than like a specific research project it's more of like the way that we want to conduct our research is in favor of using diverse extracts over pure compounds which are almost always used in research because it limits the amount of variables um but i think we're going to be doing both and hopefully we'll start you know we have actually a really cool project planned with pure compounds in the future should we talk about that <laughs> yeah well actually i just got them last week so that was I, I just got like, mine too so that's why i was like oh this is like really shout cool. out kyle from it. future what's up yeah like thank you man we're gonna do some research with these isolates and we're gonna see um i i want to do a bunch of research with them actually i want to do membrane perturbation perturbation i like, think i want to i think we should perturbation yeah Yes, and and pair that with in silico data too. But l yes. let's give more context. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Kyle from um, Future Compounds, which shout out to them. They are not only doing great education, but they make great products. They have given us some pure compounds, and for a while, I've I've really been wanting to do a study where we take pure compounds like CBN, CBG, CBD, THCV. And we give them to people blinded and we say, hey, they're not like physically blinded. They just don't know which product they have. So it's like a blinded study. And we just have them document how they feel from taking these different products. And the reason we want to do this is because there's so much marketing in cannabis, like so much marketing that says, take this product. It will make you less hungry. Take this product. It's going to help you sleep. Take, take this product, it's going to help with pain. And we have a lot of data to back that up, but we don't have a lot of data on people taking these products and not having an expectation of what's about to happen. So if we could have some blinded data to go along with the biochemical data that we have from studies looking in essentially Petri dishes, that would be really compelling to start to understand the value of these different products, the dose of these different products that should be used. And then and then we can get more complicated and think about this in a chemodiverse extract and say, Okay, cool. So we know, you know, CBN does XYZ. What happens when we add it to this type of product? Let's, that just gave me such, the way you phrased that was so good. And it just gave me a really good <laughs> idea. So let's have, keep riffing. Let's have Lane blind us as the first trial. And we'll start our, should we tell them about the documentary idea about how we'll, how we react so different? to things because we're different like there's i mean there's ways that we're similar we're both messy little raccoons that's the similarity yeah, definitely raccoon overlap. status but there's in almost all the other ways we're very very different and we react differently to things it's fascinating oh yeah i mean you're yeah you're definitely um much more i mean you respond better to things that are like downers we've i talked yeah. about this introducing you yeah. i think in the first nap time like definitely uh, more 
like and oh god this is where we talked about um todd too where he was like oh like you're opposite so like yeah like we were the I drugs should... on each other's brain oh, exactly oh, so like man, i'm man. like a ben like my personality is like a benzo like i am <laughs> low and I think slow I, said, I think i said when, when he was talking about it i think my exact reaction was i impulsively replied with like you're a total downer and then i was like no offense yeah, literally <laughs> No, like it, like you don't even know. You don't even know how much it takes to like make me mad. Like it's a lot. Like I don't react. <laughs> it takes a lot. Um, so I'm like low and slow, like chilling almost always. Me, how he's like, like a hundred and ten miles per hour all the time, which is good. I mean, it's a good thing. Um, but uh, not it's all funny the time. because. But, I mean, this is also the thing with, like, you know, opposites attract as far as who you attract for your friends and, and your partner and all that kind of stuff. Because, like, I don't know if I'd want to hang out with myself all day. Like, it, it probably, I don't know. It's like you kind of want someone who's the opposite um, of you. And then we also respond to the opposite types of weed where, like, I am a definite downer person, so I'm looking for upper weed all the time. Whereas you've always responded to more of your like indica types, your perps, like the the ones that are typically kind of relaxing and sedating. I've just like thought it was interesting for a while that we could characterize all the separate little pieces through the drug experiences. Because when you're altering your mind and your perception, like you know the pharmacology. And I know that with natural products, there's always room for variability. But to the most part, like we're going to be able to get very detailed information on systems within both of our brains that at least a few of the systems are clearly deviating from the average, right? Like for both of us. So I think it's going to be really exciting. And it's something that this was the idea that we had after we were just like chilling for a while. Like one of the ways in which we are trying to break a systemic barrier in cannabis and also just in like society is we would like to like normalize a different style of relationship with the people who you work with and what that environment can look like and yeah how we oh, can do it a hundred like thousand percent i think both of us are working better than we ever have before because we have the freedom to like do what we need to do for lifestyle changes in order to be like in our brains in a good place, like almost always. And that includes like, I think we've talked about this before, but open consumption whenever you want, like we'll be in meetings and one of us is almost always like rolling up or like, you know, whatever. Or like we were supposed to record this podcast two days ago and I texted me Abby and I'm like, yeah, can we not? Like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do this right now. Can we like reschedule this? And you were so like, that, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that night. So that night you were like, and you sewed this beautiful hat, but you are going to, you. you sewed, you sewed two, you were sewing two mittens and I was like building a shower. So we, we both had our things that we like had to do too. And I mean, like, I think that's another thing that when we're talking about, you know, what it is like and to be the most able or productive like i don't like the word productive like i don't like the word produce because i know it's tough well because it's fun when like working with you is fun i i I, like love chatting and all of our ideas and what we're doing and like what we're starting and the movement that it has and the movement that it's already made like it's so much fun and it can be 
it's most of your life. We spend so much of our lives working that the like idea that you wouldn't love that time too is so foreign to me because I'm just, I know maybe it's also that I spent so much of my life literally wanting to die that now that I want to live, I'm like, I want to live, live though. Like the whole time. <laughs> like Well, yeah. And I think, you know, as you're talking about, I'm sewing mittens, you're doing a bathroom. Like we are both like, I have a whole separate business that I own outside of cannabis where it's a lot of sewing. It's a lot of uh, like very hands-on work. And Miyavi does a ton of hands-on work too. You work at the farm and you're always like doing stuff around your house. So, I mean, I think for both of us, it's like we take, we need to be able to do those other parts of our lives and we are willing to work literally all the time if we can support ourselves rather than working for someone else and like being mentally in a bad space because that is so spiraling. As you're saying, you work so much of your life and if you are unhappy at your job, you're probably pretty unhappy in general. And obviously that comes from a place of privilege. I can say that because now I'm self-employed. Um, but, you know, I've worked for people I've absolutely hated. And my quality of life during that part of my life was terrible. Even the relationships with my friends and my family, like it was all terrible because I wasn't happy because I was spending nine hours a day being around people in environments where I didn't want to be. So it's like at this point in my life, I would rather literally work all the time toward something that can grow myself and my business and I can be in charge of my mental space and keep that peace rather than having to sacrifice that for something else. Well, some of us just need more accommodation than others. And like the lifestyle accommodation that we're talking about is really just a, a medical dose schedule. I mean, there's other ways to look at it. Like there's all these different ways that we could call it what it is, but it's that we benefit from the regular and consistent use of cannabis for our creativity but also for our tip productivity we have all these other other things that we need like sensory inputs like manual labor and like getting outside and we have we have needs and i would argue that most humans actually have those needs and that it's just in the culture that we don't value that aspect of quality of life over it and that companies could do it if they wanted to too and there are some good companies like, i should say that there are some good companies out there for true. real like i i have a lot of friends in the industry that work at dispensaries or these different companies specifically i'm thinking about some dispensaries that their staff light up like together before that cool. before it opens every day and that's like part of that ritual of like we're about to help people we're part of this healing community Let's heal ourselves first so we can give the best customer service possible. And you know what? They're all happy and they've all been there for a really long time. So, you know, that is the result of allowing your your employees to consume during work. And it's same thing like go, going to these different weed events. Like you should be able to openly consume at weed events if you're working in the weed industry. Because mm -hmm. like, like how on earth are you – if your company thinks that you're not going to be operating as well because you're using cannabis, then that's pretty uh, that's pretty backwards for <laughs> for working in the industry and not letting people consume while you're trying to sell other people cannabis products. This is why stoners need to be influential people in the decision making of the industry because we have just so much more inherent knowledge than people who don't regularly consume 
because it's not just regularly consumed, quote unquote. It's literally our lives and our quality of lives, our medicine, our community, our people, and our understanding. And this is an, it's just another reason why we need to do that. And it's been really liberating, though, being more open and being more able to talk about everything. I mean, not everything, everything, but like a lot, right, about cannabis and about mental health and about quality of life and priorities. And so much of that absolutely comes from everyone else and all of their stories. And like yeah. both of us, both of us have just so much of our lives have changed by just hearing from other people, your, your stories. Like we we carry them with us you know they're not i'm never without them and it's powerful it's very very cool and so I, we really appreciate that and that's so that's something that um you know the the title of this section about like what we're trying to do and who we're trying to work with is that we are being very very intentional with what and who we and why we do anything that we do and we're not going to be claimed to be perfect because no one is. And we're certainly going to make mistakes. And I'm sure we already have. And like you find out later, right? Like, well, I want to, I do want to talk about this a little bit more. So just to give some context, like somebody shared um, what one of the videos that I made that was updating people on uh, the progress of the current study that we're doing and kind of just showing like general demographic and what data we, we've gotten so far. And somebody else was just commenting on it, essentially saying, like, this isn't real research because you didn't um, acquire data in the right way, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, people were getting really upset about it. And I think to us, it, it doesn't make us upset. It's actually uh, kind of a sign that we're doing something right. We are breaking these, these systems, these systemic barriers. We are including people in research who have never been included in research. We're talking about women. We're talking about LGBTQ. We're talking about anyone who's, you know, it's research has been very narrow for a long time. And with that being said, we want to also represent anyone in this survey. So we would love to share the survey with more men and more older people, but like at, the people who have taken the survey so far fit a certain demographic and that's totally fine. But for us to say the, the research is illegitimate is saying that those 5,000 people don't exist and that they didn't take time every day for two weeks to tell us about their use patterns of cannabis and that we don't have this really unique data set that's never ever been even talked about in science before. So again, like this research is not finished yet. We have 5,000 respondents. We want 10,000. The survey is still open. You should 100% share it with your friends and family. If we can get 100,000 respondents, that would be so amazing. Cool. You know, like the sky's the limit. So yeah, this in, in a huge core competency of NAP and of what we're doing is to share with our community. So the reason I made that video before the research is done is to thank you guys for taking the time to do that research and to share your story every single day and to share your dosing and for trusting us with that research. And because you trust me with that, I'm going to share that back with you and show what the initial data is like. And you know what? Next time we have 10,000 people, I'm going to share it again before it's published. And I'm going to keep doing this because my relationship with you guys is so much more important than my research with 
the classic academic that is really not doing anything to maybe help our community. I really want to emphasize our voices, the voices who've never been researched or studied before. So to me, it just says that we're doing something right and that we should keep going. I absolutely agree. Like, I think that what it points to is, you know, there's always going to be like a dying roar. There's always going to, and, and I'm not saying that we're even <clears throat> close to being there yet because I would argue we're kind of the beginning or we're nearer to the beginning than we are to the end of this battle of what it is and isn't valid, right? And there's so much going on here with the bias of how valid data is. Actually, I have a beautiful quote. I cannot, I think it was Marnay. Marnay said, when there is some random arbitrary value of significance that has to be met for no reason other than it's a criteria to be met, then that, and when lived experience doesn't meet like these standards, that's when you're coming up against like a systemic inequity, misogyny, racism, like heteronormativity, like you're coming up against like these big, bit like a big barrier because that's what that is this is why this research hasn't been done and i i'd argue that it also has to do with disability and that you know this is something that's so important to us and that it feels really good so so for all those people who have the negative things like i it's like we get a lot of negativity just because we put a lot of things out there and there's so much positivity like it's overwhelmingly positive and so to me now, and I, it took me a long time to get here. I used to get like, I used to get sad. I used to get hurt. I mean, like it really hurt me. It, and I was always like, it doesn't hurt me. But then inside, I was like aching. You know, I was like, ah, my feelings are so hurt. Oh, like, I want to talk about that though because I mean, my skin is so thick from being on like yeah, TikTok now, and Instagram. Like now, it's like people whatever, literally hate it. me. Yeah. <laughs> Full sun. Thanks for the engagement. Yeah. So it was actually really, really cool to see, you know, on LinkedIn, people are talking about this, whatever. And then the amount of messages I got from people just wanting to help spread our message because they think what we're doing is really cool. So, for instance, shout out to Fat Nugs magazine because they're going to do a piece on our study and our research. And I'm going to include all the amazing comments that people left on those videos showing that they're feeling validated and represented for the first time ever. And, you know, we're, we're again talking about how the survey is still open and that people should keep taking it. We have people at different dispensaries around the United States being like, I want to hang flyers with your survey on it so that more and more people can take this. So it really led to a lot of positivity in the right direction. And I think that's always kind of what we should be looking for is not necessarily the people trying to shoot us down, but who are the people who are building us up? You know, who are the people who see that and don't want to take part in it and don't want to continue that narrative that we've been having for so long? Instead, like, how can I create change in the right direction? And I'm just saying, like, I notice it and I'm mentally like, thank you so much to everyone who shows support in that way. We have gotten so much positivity, so much positive feedback about the survey and how it has helped people. And it's honestly like, it makes me feel really emotional. Like, I think it's just really like, it's so important to me that someone shared like within a story about the survey that, you know, they'd participated in 
many scientific surveys and research projects before and always like for different aspects of autism but that this survey was the first survey where it actually felt like maybe we're changing something like 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 something is happening here that's different and it feels powerful and recently also there's been another content creator there's been a couple content creators and and also just people in our personal lives who have told us that the things that we've been doing and saying and educating and spreading and teaching about are affecting people in a way that helps them to understand and and to go pursue things that then they go on to make changes i mean actually you know what somebody said so that powerful. they they started smoking weed on their podcast because they saw me smoking weed on this podcast. So I'm going to light up again for literally just the purpose of that comment because shout I'm out. I'm going to do it too. Hell yeah. <laughs> that made me feel so cool. So this one's for you. Love it. I also love the open consumption. I like that as a rule. We should write that into the employee handbook. Yeah, actually, I want to put it in my podcast policy. notes, too, because I was just saying that to someone recently. I'm like, you can consume if you want. And they were like, oh, I just did before this because I didn't know if I could consume on air. And I'm like, yeah, I should put that in writing. <laughs> yeah, you should put it in the put it in the show notes. That's I, perfect. Oh, man. I'm going to. That's the best. No, so it's it's been really powerful. And the survey has helped people. The survey also has helped people to better understand their relationship with cannabis. It's helped people become more intentional. And I just can't, I can't put into words exactly the feeling it's in my chest. It's like a lot of pressure and I think it's pride. I mean, pride is definitely part of it. I've never been so proud of anything before. And like, that's just, I, it feels so full circle because some of the data points are like the first things that we ever worked on together. And like now the, Oh, and also I want to touch on the men thing. Like, so when we were at the science fair, a couple students came up and said like, I'm wondering like, why is your demographic mostly female or non-binary? Like, why is your demographic so skewed? Like there's like only 30% men. And I was like, well, that's just the demographic of people who are open to learning things from people who look like Riley and I. Like, that's just the answer. And there are a lot of men. We have over a thousand men in the study. It's still a very significant It's still significant. Value. It's a and there's huge also amount. data there's, just like women I'm, in general take surveys more than men. Like that is also a data point that we need to acknowledge. I, I don't even care. It's enough men. I don't care. I don't think we need more. Like, just the good ones. Like, why? I, I think include, we need more. Like, Sign up for a survey. <laughs> okay, that's true. No, no, no. You're right. I'm just I'm just saying, like, the argument of, like, why does it have to be 50-50? I just don't think that's true. I don't like, think it I needs to think, be 50-50. Yeah. Especially when women think, are often yeah. unre- underrepresented in almost all scientific studies. Well, because you could just always split. You just always split and then analyze the data separately. And then it's, the, you know, analyze all the yeah. statistics separately. Like, it's... But this is like why this is why I think that what we're doing with science and what we're trying to do with cannabis is like the sign that it's working is the amount of pushback that I agree. I mean, received. to make change, you're going to be a little bit controversial and like that's OK to have different opinions, too. I mean, a lot of people are scared of change and and that's OK. And also, I think we should um, 
Should we talk about some of the future studies that we want to do? I know we talked about the isolate study. Should we talk about anything with Corey, or is it too early to talk about that? I really want to. I, maybe we should talk to Corey. But yeah, I, I want to talk about all of the research that we have planted. We have a lot of seeds planted in collaborations between industrial partners and our nonprofit and also academic partners and our nonprofit. And so I think it's probably best that we don't disclose anything until we submit that grant or whatever. The, You're right. You know, let's not do that. Um, but I, but let's talk about that, too, though, because a lot of the like fundraising we've been doing is like crowdsourced fundraising. And that's we're hoping that's very short term. We're really our aim yeah. is to get sponsorships from industrial partners who want to sponsor like a specific study or a specific component of what we're doing. You know, I I shouldn't name drop. Never mind. I'm not going to talk about that. But. Um, but that that is what our plans are and to apply for these large grants you know we're both associated with research universities and th these universities also like understand that we need to start highlighting the consumer and the relevant perspective of how this affects people and you know we're a great avenue to connect academic research industrial research and consumer research I think that we could talk about SOS and our plan for that what i'm so excited what? about sos i i think that we could talk about that because we are actively seeking funding for it as of this exact moment and sos, so SOS. stands for yeah. yeah we're just like sos sos stands for the science of smokeability this is going to be a series of research experiments uh, in collaboration with Dr. Allison Justice and the Hemp Mine. Um, and we are going to essentially change different factors. And then we're going to do experiments to see how it affects the smokeability of the flower. So that's like during the dry and cure process, but also during the growing process of what nutrients are available to that plant and how does that affect the final product and how that pr final product feels. It's so cool because... Dr. Allison Justice has the Cannabis Research Coalition, and both of us are on the Scientific Advisory Board, and Allison's on our board. So we have a really intimate knowledge of each other's, like, capabilities, specialties, like, what we can overlap in, and we're going to be able to see from the plant all the way to us. That's going to be cool. Yeah. So... I like my brain only thinks in five year plan, which is probably like not a good thing, but I'm always thinking like big, big, I think picture. it's a great thing. <laughs> always thinking big picture. So immediately when we started talking about science of smokeability, I'm like, let's make this a research festival. Like let's make this a big thing where consumers can come and try these different products, like, and then vote on which ones they think smoke the best. And then we can have this huge data set of these different people trying these different variables and how they affect the smokeability. And of course we'll have like music and like a bunch of other stuff too. But I think it could be so much fun to have that like community research in that way. I think it would be so cool to also get a testing lab on board and make it into a farmer's market and have people test their home grow. Or and orange photonics. Yeah. We can test on site. See, I think we need to start having science in community in casual, very casual conditions. Because 
going to a scientific conference is not something that people are going to ever do. It's not enjoyable. Oh, dude, half the time honestly. I don't want to be there. Like, I'm like, mm, feeling a little stale. But I, I mean, I agree. It's not. And and the information's not presented for the general public, right? Like it it needs to be presented in a different way that's such way more entertaining, much more gamified and playful. And then I think people would really, really care about it. It's like people care about cannabis science. It's just never really presented in a way that's accessible. And we have all these plans for how we would do it different if we had the funding to support all of these endeavors like there are ways that you know that you could construct artistic and interesting pathways or environments for people that they navigate where you can gather data along the way and it'll be fun it's like riley said it's gamified it's an experience but it's also it's also collecting data and we know this because we both have incredibly short attention spans like that's another similarity like yeah and i think that's just kind of a lot of that is like the creative brain but at the same time it's great to work with somebody with a long (laughs) attention span too i feel like uh we need somebody like that part of our regular brainstorming no i (laughs) that is true i think the other thing too is that both of us are so imaginative we have like very hyperactive imaginations Oh, well, I'm going to boost this up again because um, I really think like a lot of the visions I originally have for things like come true, like they can come to fruition because of like, I think our ideas are practical enough that they can like, I always think my wedding is the example of this. I like imagined my wedding and then I planned it and that like, that's how I went about planning a wedding. And I think it's the same thing for like a weed event too, where it's like, oh, I I can like, I can imagine that in my head and then I can plan around it. I totally agree, except that I was so anxious at, for, before your wedding. And I'm going to throw it out there that at your wedding, Jake came up to me at the end of the night, grabbed me on the shoulders and said, thank you for your anxiety, Miyabi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is why I'm saying wedding. we need to work in pairs because like I, I'm good at imagining. I'm not always good at executing and planning, but like, like I, I know I'll it has to happen. <laughs> I'll handle the day of. I mean, I actually really get I get a really interesting buzz off of running events. I mean, event people are interesting. Like I've, I, I've worked a lot of different types of events and stuff. And dude, same with like working as a, a waitress too. Yeah. I feel like that's the same thing where it's like that. I it's a I loved I loved being a waitress. I thought that was so. I did it for like six years, and I would still do it right now if I had time. Honestly, like the people you meet and just the fast pace, and then all the good food you get to try. I I really enjoyed it. You're like, I need that stimulation. I know. I'm like, should I? No. (laughs) Should I? No, you have too much work for sure. Yeah, don't do it. Like, both of us. Yeah, both of us don't need another job. Like, just. Mm -mm. (laughs) But the thing that's really cool, going all the way back to the survey that I want to touch on just one last time about please sharing it with people, is that when people come up to us and see themselves in the data, when we were at the MCR Harvard science fair, um, Adam shout out to Adam drove all the way out from Pennsylvania in one day to come see the data. And he was like, I participated in this and I wanted to come see it and meet you guys. And he helped us break down. It was so awesome. So cool. And Starbucks, like he got coffees. It was just like, 
yeah, it was really, really, really cool um, to, to meet him in person. And just, again, it's like that community aspect of that event. It was not a huge event, but I bet we knew like a quarter of the people there. Like that is so cool to have these events that like bring people together in that way. And you can just look forward to seeing people and meet people from your network that you didn't even know like existed. But when you meet them, you're like, this, this is awesome. It's so powerful for us to be together like that. And I felt that when we we actually saw a good amount of them in Vegas as well. And like it's it's a core feeling of, you know, recognition and trust and that we've all consumed together. Like yeah. cannabis brings everyone together. Um there's just so much more trust there and I'm oh, definitely 100%. Like Adam you know, was like I need to I need to use cannabis and we we're like we got you. Like, let's go step outside. Like, absolutely. We are the same way. You did the same thing for me when I showed up. Like, that is community. It's being like, I need to dose myself five minutes ago. Help me, please. And then we're like, yeah. pen, pen, pen. Like, bar. it's like, like the, it's like coming out of all arms. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like when I was leaving to go meet you at the car, I was like sprinting out and Brett was like, Miabi, like, are you okay? Like, are you okay? And I was at the door and I was like, Riley needs this. <laughs> Riley needs uh, it so bad. Oh, also really cool. Oh, like just after parties from the MCR event. So yeah. Uh, what was the first one called? Uh, we went to Asia, um, Trellatex raspberry parfait. And there was, was like, cool. everyone had a hat on. And you were like, everyone has a hat on but me. And then I turn around and you have a fucking beret on. Like, what? I got a beret. That was awesome. And I love it when was. the grav bong comes out at events. I think that is so fun. I remember bringing my grav bong, uh, the studded glass one. I brought that to Halloween this year. And it was so funny because I was like, oh, I'm going to bring it like a really fun piece to smoke out of. Brought a grav bong and everyone's like, I haven't smoked a grav bong since like high school. But now we have these really fancy grav bongs and they're really fun. And that was at the event. So that was really cool. And I got to talk to Corey um, from Harbor House and he's just like a wealth of knowledge. Got to try his Piatella. That was amazing. Oh, what a good night. His He has an interesting story about how he lost his sense of smell and now all of their genetics are like taste like cultivated for taste and they have very unique flavors of smoke of their flower like i noticed i think we should them. go there and have interview him for this podcast Ooh, that would be a fun field trip their facility is fucking cool like i think it'd be really cool oh man let's do it let's do it i'm i'm sure he's game like and then actually i get to see i would love to see someone press i would love to video that like, yeah that'd be yeah you know, that'd be I, I, I watch those just... videos all the time We'll just talk right. about future plans, too. Also, in three minutes, it's going to be 420, and then I think we should wrap oh, up this yeah. episode and then go enjoy the solstice. Sounds perfect. Um, so, yeah, everyone, thanks so much. Like, this has been – I feel like this has been so crazy, and it's so nice to see, like, oh, one thing I did want to touch on from the data that we didn't do talk about in the last episode because we hadn't done it yet was that 64% of people – started consuming before noon and that's a significant percentage and that 32 percent of people have either five or more doses per day so you're consuming regularly per day and so um i'm part of that 32 percent 
I'm also part of that 64%. So if you multiply those two together, which I should have done that before this, but here I'll do the math right now. Hold on. 0.64 Drum roll. times point. What did I say the other one was? 3.2. Yeah. All right. 20.48. What a good number. Like the game. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, anytime there's a 4, a 2, and a 0, you're in a good spot. But <laughs> I love numerology. I'm so weird about numbers, though. You know. You know this. No, but, but I think this is 20... cool, too, especially when we start crunching the numbers of, like, people working and what people's general happiness is, like, on a scale. Like, that's going to be really interesting to see how that how that correlates and breaks down. And it also it's relation to the driving statistic of, like, people needing to dose five times a day. And then it's like, okay, well, 64% of people drive. And it's like, okay, that's not that surprising, right? Like if you need to use cannabis throughout the day and if you're in a mental space that you feel comfortable enough that that's kind of your baseline and you're okay, then you should be able to drive. Like, again, if, if that's your dosing regimen, are we saying like people who need to use this medicine have to stay home all the time? <laughs> Are you restricting us to our households by <laughs> restricting our transportation? Because it's 20%. Let's round it up to 20.5% because that's easier to remember. But 20.5% yeah. consume before noon more than five times a day. And that's one out of every five. That's a significant number of people. And it's. I don't think that it's hmm, – I don't think it's so extreme. I, I know it sounds extreme, but it really doesn't feel extreme when you get to know us. Like, yeah, when you, and like when I you mean, get to know our community. I think, like, yeah, most people I know who are regular consumers consume before noon. Like most most people in my network, at least. So I wouldn't. I don't find that super surprising. But I think this is really good to get this information out to at least like start to normalize this to people. To start telling people like we exist everywhere. We're using cannabis regularly. Like this is part of our daily routine and our daily medicine. And yeah, we're here. This is the life we're living. Oh, it's four twenty. Four twenty. Also, I got to start dressing cooler for this podcast. Like. I look like a narc in my kitty sweater and vest. I've been literally just embracing wearing a sweatshirt to everything possible. I like wearing cats and weed. That's my style. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I like wearing things that are loose on my body. And oh, yeah, I'm loose too. Actually, that's something that we think differently about, though, is you always want to be in, like, as little, like – clothes as possible like a sports bra and shorts and like i yeah. want to wear like ponchos and overalls <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's a sensory thing i think yeah like i think it has to I do also with just like, like being warm like sensory. i really right like and i'm warm. not and i'm not cold often like i just run hot like my body runs a little hot um Cool. Well, have a great solstice. Tell Jake I say have a great solstice. Thanks for listening. If you want to donate or learn more about what we do at the Network of Applied Pharmacognosy, you can visit that link in the show notes. But thanks anyway for listening. Mad love, and we'll catch you next week.